Welcome to the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I am your host, Ian Hurwitz, and today we're talking about backfields all around the National Football League. And everyone, I am extremely excited to be joined today by Mr. Justin Boone. For those that don't know, he's the lead fantasy analyst at The Score, host of The Score Fantasy Football Podcast, and, I mean, of course, the reigning, defending, undisputed Fantasy Pro's most accurate ranking expert of the world. Justin, what's going on, man? Man, life is good right now. It never gets old hearing that kind of intro. That's fantastic. I appreciate that. And yeah, I appreciate you having me on. Super exciting opportunity here, you know, being one of the, the first guests with you. This is great. I just want to have sharp people on this podcast to help all of our loyal listeners make money, win championships like yourself, and just generally have a good life. So thanks again for coming on, man. Yes, today we're going to be talking about all things RBs. I mean, you look around the league. Okay, we got our Zeeks, McCaffrey, Saquons, but otherwise, three down workhorses, pretty much over. We got committees almost everywhere. We got rookies. Me and Justin are going to be talking through the backfields around the league, try to pinpoint where the fantasy football value is, situations you might want to avoid, and just, you know, see what's what. We got a whole, new, whole lot of new backfields going in 2020. So, with that said, let's get started. So, big five at the position, any fantasy draft, whatever. It's CMC, Zeke, Saquon, Dalvin Cook, and Kamara. We know what we're getting here. It's a workhorse role for all four of those guys. And for Kamara, it's, you know, just so many targets in that Sean Payton offense that we know we're getting a top five fantasy back. Do you have any hesitation about having these guys in your top five and their ability to post top five production this season? No, I mean, I think it's a pretty clear top five for me this year. And you could really, you could chop it up however you want. McCaffrey's got, he's got some slight uncertainty with the new coaching staff coming in, but you know, there's changes in the offensive line, but it's still McCaffrey. Even if his numbers take a little bit of a dip this year, he's still the odds-on favorite to lead the position for fantasy. Barkley, I mean, he might be the most talented back in the NFL. I don't feel like he gets enough conversation about that. Like, from a raw skills standpoint, he has that the Barry Sanders style of, like, generating his own production no matter what's going on around him. And I think it's important to remember with him, he got hurt last year. He had that high ankle sprain early in the season, wasn't really the same player until around mid-season, and he still averaged 17.2 fantasy points per game during that stretch, which is not bad at all. But after the Week 11 bye, he was right back up to 21 points per game. And I know everybody's worried about the Giants' early season schedule, but Barkley can get it done any way you need him to. He can get it done as a pass catcher as well, so he is not game game script dependent whatsoever. Uh, Zeke is fine. I mean, let's hope he gets back to training soon after the positive COVID diagnosis. But that Cowboys offense is, you know, one of the most exciting in the league this year. So no worries about Zeke. And Kamara, Kamara's the one I probably should talk about the most here because it was almost like Barkley with him last year where he was playing hurt for a big stretch of the season and it impacted his numbers. He still just grinded his way through the second half of the year at less than 100%. And he averaged the eight most fantasy points among running backs on the season. So once again, even hurt, the guy was still getting it done. And he had some insanely bad touchdown luck last year, right? He had just six scores, had a nine-game stretch where he didn't find the end zone. And that comes after 18 touchdowns the year before. And if you want to break it down, of the nine backs that were given at least 300 touches last year, only two generated fewer than eight touchdowns. And both of those guys played on losing teams. The Saints are not going to be a losing team. Their win total, I think, is projected around 10 or 10 and a half right now. So I love Kamara this year, especially where he's going. I think he's somebody who could jump up and maybe get into the top two, maybe even lead the position potentially if something happens to McCaffrey or if he falls back. And then the one guy that's in in my top five that I think 
you could argue, you know, has some risk in that group is Dalvin Cook. You know, I think with that contract situation, it's not a talent thing whatsoever. It's just a contract situation. And with the new CBA, with, you know, Madison waiting in the wings, I don't feel like Cook has a lot of leverage. And his camp saying they'd be happy with, you know, 13 million that suggests they know that they're not getting that much. Right. So would they take 10? Would they take 11? Probably let's face it. Cause if they would, that's going to get the deal done before camp and he's going to avoid any sort of Melvin Gordon type situation here. And a couple of the beat writers have also pointed out that the Vikings kind of have this history of assigning players to new deals right before the, the training camp starts there. I think Stefan Diggs was the same situation a couple of years ago. So I've been taking the discount everywhere I can with cook scooping them up in you know the middle sometimes even late in the first round so i, I apologize because that is way too much time to spend talking about the top five because the top five they're pretty locked in right all those guys are pretty solid and anybody that has any worries about cook i wouldn't i'd go out there and get them still yeah i want to echo most of those things you said i think you pretty much nailed it man from kamara and saquon both having those ankle injuries and you know when they are healthy we've seen what they can do uh just real quickly i think my favorite stat though from this entire group i'm a kamara 81, exactly 81 receptions in every season so far. So for all you fancy projection people out there, if you don't have Alvin Kamara projected for exactly 81 receptions, what are you doing? But yes, man, you know, if we had, you know, this backyard football, we need the best player in the world who is number one with the ball in their hands. I think it's Saquon Barkley. And yeah, McCaffrey's target totals are just, just insane enough for him to, you know, still be the no doubt 1.01. But Saquon, man, he can definitely do that. And we got to think about the coaching changes, but when we got Jason Garrett, maybe the one guy more than Pat Shermer, who's won just to ride his running back into dust. Saquon, big things to come. Could definitely get back that PPR RB1 spot. But okay, enough of the gimmies. We're going on to the next tier of RBs. And this is where it gets interesting because it's a bunch of guys that we have questions about either the early down role or the pass catching role. To me, I was not on this train when the offseason started, but the more I look at it, all these guys, your Derek Henry's, your Aaron Jones, Sanders, Ecklers, the one guy I'm coming back to at RB6, Kenyon Drake. I just think yes. out of all these guys, he has the clearest path to a true three down role. Sounds like you're with me. Oh, absolutely. I love hearing that. I'm really high on Drake. And I think you're actually even higher on him. I have an RB7. I just got him in the Scott Fishbowl at the end of the second round is the Ooh. RB12. That is perfect. And I will, I'll admit, I, I copped out and I took the, the first overall pick. So I have McCaffrey. <laughs> and then I came back and I got Kenyon Drake, who I think he's got top five upside at that position. So when you look at him, I mean, completely underutilized in Miami for years. Then he goes to the Cardinals and just explodes his first game with them 162 yards from scrimmage and a touchdown and that was against the 49ers it wasn't like it was just some gimme defense he was going up against and he had over 100 rushing yards three times in the final eight games he averaged the third most ppr fantasy points among running backs during that time and yes it is partially because this offense right because when you look at everybody wants to rag on david johnson but before david johnson got hurt he was a top five fantasy back over those first six contests. And I love that it's so easy to pace out Kenyon Drake's numbers. Normally you got to do a little quick math, right? Quick equation to figure it all out. With Drake, he played exactly eight games with the Cardinals. So it's great. We just double the numbers there. And if we do that, it comes to, and I'm not even suggesting that he's going to get, this isn't my projection for him this year. It's just to give you an idea of what he could do. And if you put it out, his on-pace stats were 246 carries, 1,286 rushing yards, 56 receptions, 342 receiving yards, and 16 total touchdowns. With those numbers over a full 16-game schedule, 
he would have come in second to only Christian McCaffrey among running backs last year. And like I said, I'm not suggesting that's going to happen. What I'm suggesting is it puts him in great position to be an RB1 this year, maybe even better than that, maybe even crack that top five. You also have Hopkins showing up. That's going to draw more attention away from the line of scrimmage in what's already a spread offense. So I really think that Kenny Drake should be a first round pick in fantasy drafts this year. And I feel like it's stealing every time I get him in the, the mid to even late second round. And it's that ceiling, man. I mean, this his ceiling, though, it seems like it's pretty close to his floor because that's exactly what we saw from him in our most relevant sample. I know people love to point out, you know, Kenny Drake hasn't had, you know, X amount of touches dating back to his college career. Well, you know, when you're wasting away in Adam Gase offenses in Miami, sometimes <laughs> it's hard to get the workload you should be deserving. I mean, in those eight games with the Cardinals, the snap rates, 84%, 64%, 90, 79, 66, 75, 81, 96%. This is true three down-ish that we do not see elsewhere around the league. And I mean, again, going in the offseason, you know, getting that 8.5 million transition tag, not the same thing as a $64 million McCaffrey deal, but when they only added seventh round, Eno Benjamin, I like Chase Edmonds too. And he's a fine discount later in the drafts. But again, like you said, David Johnson was balling out before he got hurt. This was a one back offense. The one thing that Kingsbury and Kyler brought to this team already is this top two rushing offense. I mean, just, having that dual threat quarterback the way throughout defenses only the Ravens are more efficient in most PFF yours before contact statistics I love Kenyon Drake and I'm happy you too too you do too man all right two more guys that there's a little more controversy around the industry with I'm a fan of both but you know I like all players we just don't like ADP so that's what we gotta figure out here Miles Sanders and Austin Eckler neither guy is your typical 15 carry per game you know early down grinder but both of them have exceptional receiving ability how are you treating these guys Top 12 backs, yes or no? Yes, and I have them both ranked pretty similarly, but I definitely like Sanders more. And I was a little worried entering the offseason that I thought the Eagles were going to sign one of those veteran backs and they were going to come in and siphon work away. I was very scared of that early on. And then it never happened, right? It never happened. And it's still possible that, you know, Devonta Freeman's still out there, so maybe, but I don't think they're going to now. So when you look at, you know, last year, Sanders showed he could be a huge part of this offense. And you say, you know, he hasn't proven that he could be a, a 15 plus carry guy. No, he hasn't. He hasn't done it over a full season yet. But once Jordan Howard went down, Sanders averaged 18.7 touches per game over the final seven regular season contests. That came after the bye week. Pretty sure in the playoffs, he had like 17 touches in that game. And he averaged the 12th most fantasy points among running backs during that span. So he can be an RB1. And that's even with. Boston Scott, who I think is very underrated, Boston Scott put up 45 or more yards from scrimmage in four of the last five games for the Eagles last year, and he went over 120 yards in two of those outings. So you have another running back producing, and you still had Sanders putting up good numbers. And then on top of that, you're going to get a healthier receiving court, presumably. I mean, they had like the worst injury luck possible last year in that receiving core. Every year, man. And really, yeah, you're right. <laughs> and really, that's going to make the offense even more potent. It's going to lead to more scoring opportunities. So Sanders, like Drake, is another guy I'm really high on. I've met RB8, and I didn't even put him in my breakouts column this year because I didn't think it was fair. I felt like he was too obvious after what he did in the second half of the season. And then Eckler, it's a bit of a different story. I do have some hesitation on him because we got a glimpse of what he could be, you know, when Melvin Gordon was holding out. And it's a borderline elite fantasy back in PPR leagues. Absolutely. But things changed a little bit for him, right? Whereas Sanders, it seems like the situation is getting better. 
with Eckler, I think it's getting a little worse because now you don't have Phillip Rivers dumping off passes to him. And we don't know if Tyrod Taylor or Justin Herbert are going to look to him as often. I kind of suspect that they're not going to. And then the Chargers have seemed pretty open about wanting to get other players involved in that backfield. So I do have some concerns when it comes to competition for touches, especially around the goal line. Eckler was doing really well in that regard in the first few games last year. But then once Melvin Gordon came back, Eckler didn't score a rushing touchdown the rest of the way after week five. And remember, like he was aided in that first stretch of the season there. He got helped out by the fact that Justin Jackson got hurt a couple games into the year. So there was a little stretch there where there really wasn't any competition until Gordon came back. Now you have Justin Jackson healthy and, and they like him. They, they've talked him up a bunch of times. Yeah. They drafted Josh Kelly, who is that bigger body, probably more suited to be that goal line hammer instead of somebody like Eckler. And then this offense as a whole, I know they still have all the receiving options, but it's not as enticing as it once was, right? They played at a, a very slow pace last year in neutral situations. They ranked last in football outsiders pace of play. I think there's a good chance that with Tyrod Taylor under center, it's only, it's going to be the same. I don't think they're going to get much higher than that. And who knows how long, you know, Tyrod's going to be under center and who knows what to expect from a rookie if Herbert gets there. So that's what worries me because I know like Eckler did put up top five numbers for a short stretch last year. We just don't know if this iteration of the Chargers offense is going to allow him to do that over a full season. So I'm not kind of like you said, I'm not going to sit here and tell you he's a bad pick in the early rounds because obviously the Chargers like him. They signed him that nice new contract. You know, they let Melvin Gordon walk, but he certainly carries more risk as a low end RB one than I think somebody like Sanders. Yeah, I'm with you, man. I got Sanders, RB7, Eckler, RB10. So I do think, just look, go with the better offense. Go with the offense with the more proven quarterback. And right now, go with the guy with the more clear path to, you know, this true three-down workload we're always chasing. You know, Eckler, he's just so unique. And it was so amazing watching him just, you know, go off on fantasy council the other day. That's the story from the other day. But, you know, look. In seven games without MG3, we've seen Eckler play at least 65% snaps in every game. And, yes, you know, Justin Jackson, Kelly, they're going to take the early down role. But Eckler is just so unique, spent 26% of his snaps in the slot or out wide last season. Truly is an RB1 wide receiver three hybrid. Obviously, losing Phillip Rivers sucks. But I just think some people that aren't even including him in the RB1 ranks, I mean, losing the starting running back that was literally ahead of you on the depth chart is a little bit better than losing the quarterback, in my opinion. Thing with Miles Sanders. I think it's lazy, the idea that he can't be a early down grinder. You said it. He did handle that work for the second half of the season. And, I mean, look, we have cool stats these days where we can check these things. Sharp football stats. Miles Sanders averaged 6.3 yards per carry over center, 6.2 over left guard, 4.7 over right guard. I mean, I don't even think it's smart for offenses to try to do, you know, copious runs up the middle. Like, why are you even wasting your time with that? There's more efficient ways to move the ball, but Sanders can do that. They have no one else on that roster better equipped to do that right now. And even if they do add a Devontae Freeman or someone closer to August, he's still the lead pass down back in a very good offense. So underrated ceilings for both these guys. And unlike some of the guys we're going to get to, they have those pass down roles we're looking to. So do not be afraid to get Sanders and Eckler early and often. All right. A couple more guys that maybe we're not feeling quite so good at. I want you to take one of these backs and tell me who you're high on, who you're low on of the group. Derrick Henry, Joe Mixon, Josh Jacobs, Aaron Jones. The kind of same thing with all of them. They got the early down roll, probably. You know, we'll see with Aaron. 300 touches are potential for these guys, but whether or not they have the pass down ability, they will probably not be receiving the targets. That's Derrick Henry, Mixon, Jacobs, Jones. Go. 
I mean, they each have their flaws. I think people get way too excited about Henry every year. He's just so game script dependent. And, you know, the first half of the last two seasons, he he hasn't been that great. Aaron Jones, I love as a player, but it feels like the Packers want to share the workload a little more, you know, drafting A.J. Dillon. And touchdown regression, it is coming for Aaron Jones. We kind of mentioned, you know, the Kamara went from one end of the spectrum to the other. And hopefully it's not going to be that bad with Jones, but his touchdowns are coming down a little bit after I think he scored 19 last year. Mixon would be the guy that I would pick here. And I think he's really interesting because there are players whose talent hasn't yet matched their fantasy production. And I think Mixon is one of them. Last year, he was playing on this team that was absolutely destined for failure, right? A brutal offensive line. They lost AJ Green to injury. They had a brief stint with an extremely underqualified rookie starting quarterback. I don't even know why they did that. And yet Mixon still finished as a top 15 fantasy back for the second straight year. And yes, his his efficiency took a little bit of a hit because of all the problems around him, but he led the league in evaded tackles, according to Blair Profiler. And Mixon averaged nine or more touches per game over the final, sorry. No, that's a stat that I just clearly completely screwed up here. Anyway, I forget exactly what it was. Maybe you can help me out there. But Derrick Henry, he was kind of like a Derrick Henry down the stretch where he just had all these touches late in the season. I don't know if it was because they kind of, the Bengals kind of seemed like they just wanted to, you know, give up on the year and they were like, well, let's just hand the ball off to Mixon and go home at some point here. But he cranked out over 135 rushing yards in three of his last four games. And that volume in my mind should have fantasy managers excited because now you have Joe Burrow coming in and he's going to spark this attack, right? He's going to breathe a little bit of life into an offense that was kind of in neutral here with Andy Dalton for the last little while. And I mean, Cincinnati, they've been in the, the bottom tier in first downs per game each of the last uh, past three seasons. But Burrow is going to bring an ability to sustain those drives. It's going to mean more opportunities for Mixon behind a line that I think is going to be at least a little bit better. You know, they're going to add a, a first round selection from 2019 and, and Jonah Williams. He's going to finally make his debut after missing a year. And I know Geo's there and they seem to like Travion Williams, but Mixon is an elite talent. I don't know that everyone realizes that yet. I think he's almost what we had in Le'Veon Bell a few years ago when Bell was with the Steelers. And if Mixon can get that kind of volume added to it, you know, I think we're going to see a guy that could crack the top five there. He has that kind of upside. And then quickly, I'll just mention Josh Jacobs because everyone wants to beat up on him and this lack of a you know passing game role they think he's going to have. I think he's a sneaky sleeper to maybe even lead the league in rushing yards behind what's going to be one of the best offensive lines out there. They're returning all five starters on that line. So Jacobs is a player I like a lot too, but if I had to pick out of that group, it would be Mixon. I like that. I like that call. And like you said, man, for him to already put up top 15 production these last two years and bad offenses should have any idea of an upgrade O-line and quarterback play. I see, I get it. Man, like 45 targets in 2019, Geo getting 43. If we could just, you know, double those up for Mixon, that top five range is there. And, you know, maybe that does happen finally. So we'll see what's what. Uh, quick points, Derrick Henry. Um, yeah, I hear you, man. I'm taking these pass catches before him. This truly is just amazing, though. I mean, 5.2 yards per carry against eight-man boxes last season for Derrick Henry. I mean, you know, the, the guy is going to eat at some point 300 touches still in his uh, potential outcomes. Aaron Jones. He is so good. Like you said, A.J. Dillon, round two, that cannot be good signs for his early down work. Part of me wonders, could they – the reason why they only added Devin Funches to their wide receiver room, they added that CFL dude in January that Packers fans like to bark at me about too. But 
Unfortunately, last year, when Devontae Adams was in, Aaron Jones only averaged 3.5 targets per game. When he was out, it went up to 6.8. I mean, that Chiefs game was the only game all year that Aaron Jones had more than six snaps as a wide receiver. He had seven catches, 159 receiving yards, two touchdowns. Um, I'm with you with Josh Jacobs. I guess quick follow-up. Aaron Jones, like, do you think they give him that more pass game work because they have no one else to go? Or am I just assuming rational coaching when I can't quite do that with the LaFleur offense? Yeah, I think it's the latter there. I'm not willing to just assume that they're going to do it, right? If, if they weren't doing it last year when Adams was back in the lineup, I'm not sure they're going to do it this year. I think they must be pretty confident about some of those other guys. I know the rest of us don't seem that confident. And Devin Funchess and Alan Lazard, I mean, some people are talking up, but – Jay Sternberger, they must feel really good about some of those guys. Uh, and I think the one quote that we can go back to is they talked at one point in the offseason about making this a three-headed backfield, and then they went out and got Dylan, right? So that seems to all be coming together that they're going to have three guys that get touches in that backfield. And that's got me worried, and I don't understand it either. If you want to talk about rational coaching, I mean, you have one of the most talented running backs in the league. Let the guy cook back there. Come on. Like, it took us so long just to get him the touches. He finally got him, and he produced. What are you going to do? Why are you going to take it away from him? That That's shocking to me. So, yeah, I, I don't understand it there. And I do – while you were talking, I quickly went and looked up. I, I didn't want to leave that mix and stat just hanging out there. <laughs> Late in the season, so let's just rattle off here his touch totals. He had 33 touches in Week 10. He had 16 in Week 11, 18 uh, 23, 27, 28, 23, 27. Like they were just loading him up at the end of the year. Once again, it's all, you know, I'm not suggesting it's like the Kenyon Drake thing. That doesn't mean that we're projecting he's going to have that kind of volume. It just shows you the potential that even if he has 80% of that, still big touch totals. Josh Jacobs with the call, potential leading rusher. Yeah, check those odds at Sportsbooks, everyone. I mean, second in PFF's elusive rating last year, second in broken tackles, third in 15-plus yard runs. You know, the guys they've added, he's probably not going to get the pass-down role. But, hey, you know, Gruden, those first 15 plays, pretty dangerous. He just give Jacobs the ball a lot. Okay, as you were talking before, sometimes we just got to listen to coaches. When we're going to hear it's going to be a committee, it's probably going to be a committee. Big quote that stuck out to me this offseason, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. This is Andy Reid talking about him. Compare him to Brian Westbrook and said, he can block for you. He can run routes. He's got tremendous vision, lateral abilities with cuts and route running, all those things. He's just a really good football player. Mr. 500 million, Patrick Mahomes, allegedly, reportedly, he said it himself, wanted CEH to be the number one pick. Chiefs gave him to him. What are your expectations for Clyde Edwards-Hilaire? Is he your RB1 over Jonathan Taylor? Yeah, as far as the rookies go, he definitely is is and you know i think there is a possibility that they're both going to start off in committees but how many times do we need to see this play out right like to realize when a talented rookie comes in normally they end up overtaking that average veteran starter because there's there's a reason that a team spent high draft capital on that position right they're, they don't trust that guy and maybe it's a long-term thing like you know we're going to see with dobbins i think that ingram's still going to be involved there and he's going to be the lead guy this season but ingram is more talented than the backs in these two situations and it always i keep thinking you know the the nick chubb carlos hyde thing right where in the first half of the year every time nick chubb got the ball he was doing something exciting and eventually the team came around and went yeah let's give this guy the touches and then he blew up in the second half of the season so even if you have to wait a month before they get the bulk of the touches you want these guys on your team in the second half of their rookie year Edward Solaire, he's my RB15. His skill set is just perfect, right? The pass catching ability, 
It is perfect for that offense. And then Taylor, with him, he's he's more enticing in standard and in half PPR, I will admit, because we don't know if he's going to get a chance to get you know as many targets in the pros. It kind of took him until his senior year in college before he really got worked in there. And he looked okay, but people always say that about Derrick Henry. Do the guy can catch. Well, nobody ever wants to give him a chance to catch, and that could be something that happens with Taylor as well. But Taylor was the best pure runner in this draft class, and now you're going to pair him up with one of the best offensive lines in the league. I would probably say my favorite offensive line in the league. I would caution people drafting rookies at other positions this year, just because the weird off season, they're not going to have as much time. So, you know, some of those wide outs could take a little bit longer, but running back is a position where you could transition pretty quickly. So I'm not as worried about them whatsoever. I would be scooping these guys up. If you can get them, I know Edward Solaire sometimes sneaks into the, the late second, but if you can get them in the, the third and the fourth, I'm taking these guys all day. PFF agrees with you in the 2020 offensive line rankings. Colts did come in at number one. But, yeah, man, look, it's a three RB committee right now with Marlon Mack, Taylor, and Naeem Hines versus a two RB committee in Kansas City. And I think even once, if and when Taylor takes over for Mack, we're going to be getting these annoying, you know, game script games where Hines is going to be on the field more than fantasy owners were want. It's Edward Solaire to me that you just, and I got him as RB15 as well. So we're on the same page there. But, you know, reading up on his scouting reports, Lance Zerloin, Dane Brugler, you know, the real pros of the industry, the concerns were pass blocking. But I, I feel good about that because we look at the Chiefs and, you know, you watch any of those games, how many times you see Damian Williams just running a wheel route, you know, you see line, blitzing guys try to peel off. Chiefs don't ask the receiving running backs to pass block. Kareem Hunt. Five or fewer pass blocking snaps in every single game with the Chiefs. Damian Williams never had more than eight. I mean, you know, it's obviously coaches know infinitely times more about schemes than I do, but there is something to be said when you force, you know, a blitzer to go cover that running back instead of, you know, hoping to block him with someone. So interesting to see how the Chiefs have been using their backs over the years. All right, so those are our sexy rookie picks. Now we're going to guys that – Mostly burned fantasy owners last year. Maybe had some okay spurts, you know, maybe in Leonard Fournette's case, had a great overall season, but, you know, three touchdowns and over 300 touches, hard to be too excited about the guy. Todd Gurley, David Johnson, Leonard Fournette should all have fairly big roles, but we have serious questions about their ability. Are you on any of these guys or are you kind of fading the trio? Tend to avoid Fournette most years because the injury history and the Jags being a losing team now. And I know that wasn't the smartest move last year. I was fading him and he finally ended up, you know, healthy, played 15 games and put up a decent season. It would have been much better if he was able to find the end zone a little more. But with Chris Thompson joining the team with some positive buzz about Reichel Armstead, I'm likely going to fade Fournette again. I'm willing to take the L if he puts up another good season. DJ and Gurley, they're interesting. And it's from a volume standpoint, right? Cause I'm with you. They have a lot of red flags, but like I said earlier, DJ was a top five fantasy back before he got hurt and everybody wants to point. I know that like one clip where he looked so slow last had the, season. Had the piano on his back trying yeah, to get outside. Yeah. <laughs> it was one play. The guy was hurt in the second half of the year. I think he came back too early because he was worried about losing his job because Chase Edmonds stepped in there and had a big game even before they brought in Kenyon Drake. So I think David Johnson saw the signs on the wall and he was trying to rush back. So maybe he's healthier this year. And Bill O'Brien has all the motivation in the world to make DJ look good in Houston. Right. So I think they're going to try to give him a really big workload. And I think that's going to cover up for any sort of reduced efficiency at, at 28 and after these injuries that he's had the last couple of years. And then Gurley's another volume play. He didn't look the same last year. 
the explosiveness is going away, but the Rams fed him, especially around the goal line. And that allowed him to continue to be an RB two in fantasy. And I think that's the big thing with him. People just have to realize this isn't the, the top five girly that we had a couple of years ago. He's a volume based RB two, but he's in another good situation here. High scoring offense, very little competition for touches should get the bulk of the goal line carries there again. You know, the truth is I think with all of that group, I am probably going to steer clear of most of them, but it's not necessarily because I don't think that they could produce this year. It's more because in that range, they're going in the, the third or fourth round. I'd rather target receivers. I mean, you can get DJ Moore and Juju and Allen Robinson. You can get guys like that in the third, fourth round receivers that in my mind have top five upside. That's how I'm building most of my teams. I'm going, you know, with at least one running back early. And then I end up targeting receiver in that range. And that's normally the way I lean. So I don't end up with a lot of shares of those three backs. Always trying to bet on volume over talent. We're better at predicting that as the, as the fantasy analysts that we are. And I think David Johnson is the one running back in this group that we can feel most confident about that volume. I remember that, you know, outside run where he just could not even come close to get in the corner. <laughs> if you watch those first five weeks, there's a clip of him running away from Bobby Wagner in the open field. I mean, he was making legit plays, especially as a receiver. We have these years of Lamar Miller getting 250-plus touches, 30-plus targets. As a longtime Duke Johnson stand, I fully believe Duke is the better player than David Johnson. But guess what? You know, Duke wasn't traded for DeAndre in part of a DeAndre Hopkins trade. So which one do you think is going to get fed? Shouldn't be that hard, people. But yeah, going to Gurley, my only issue there is that we never quite saw Devontae Freeman even get that, you know, full on featured role. I just think people need to realize that Gurley is probably not going to be pushing 80-90% snaps. I mean, Freeman, when one of Ito or Coleman was hurt over the years, he had over 60% snaps. 13 of 15 games. That's great. But when one of them was healthy, that only happened in 39% of his game. So like you said, probably a better offense. The scoring upside's there. And there's, you know, I don't think Ito or Brian Hill or Quadri Olsen, any of these guys necessarily going to make too much noise, but just have your expectations in check. We're not getting 2017, 90% snap game, Todd Gurley back. And then final point with Fournette, it's not even the injuries that worry me, man. It's how can an offense with a new offensive coordinator, Jay Gruden, feasibly fork over all these targets to a guy that was 37th out of 38 players in yards per target last season. And, you know, we got Chris Thompson and people kind of expect him to get hurt. But if he doesn't, look out. This, this, this is some random third down scat back. Only Austin Eckler and McCaffrey had more targets than Thompson in weeks one through five last season before Gruden got canned. Be careful in Jacksonville, people. And even for – I was on Rockwell Armstead more in this offseason, but if Thompson stays healthy, that dude could potentially eat because Minshew loves to check down and Thompson is good at it. All right, moving on. A couple more veterans that we can get going on. Chris Carson and Melvin Gordon. I'm a little higher on Melvin Gordon. I'm excited with the things Pat Shermer is potentially doing in Denver. Nice little history of workhorse RBs himself. Chris Carson, not too much more competition, but it is competition nonetheless. How are you approaching these guys? I have Carson a couple spots higher than Gordon, so it's nice that we're finally disagreeing about something. There we go. <laughs> it's not that much difference, right? When you're talking, I always love when people, why do you hate this player? Why do you love this player? It's like I have them a couple spots yeah. apart, <laughs> and it's not really that much difference in the projection. But actually, this is a pretty timely question because this morning I debated between these two guys in the Scott Fishbowl with my fifth round pick, and I actually went with Carson. And for me, when you look at that Seahawks backfield, completely devastated by injuries late in the year, right? You got Rashad Penny suffering the, the torn ACL and then some in week 14. Carson fracture in the hip in the finale. Penny is in real danger of starting the season on the pup list. That's why they bring in Carlos Hyde. 
Carson seems so far like he's gotten some good news. He avoided surgery. That's a pretty good sign for his week one availability. And Pete Carroll, ever the optimist, constantly kind of suggests that Carson is going to be there. They expect him to be there for week one. And I know they did bring in Hyde, but it was to provide insurance in case of that penny absence, which we think it's going to happen now. But Hyde himself is dealing with an injury as well, and he's not guaranteed to be available for week one. And then Hyde's introductory press conference, he actually was pretty vocal about the fact that he was just coming in to be a backup and that Chris Carson is the starter there. And I think there's pretty good reason for that. I mean, Carson was a top 12 fantasy back in all formats last season. He posted at least 80 yards from scrimmage in 11 of his 15 outings. And Seattle stuck with him through repetitive fumbling issues. And he's had that for a while now, but they just keep going back to him. And that's another reason why I think fantasy owners could be pretty confident about his status going into a contract year in a run first offense. Carson's eclipsed over 1,150 rushing yards in back-to-back years now, scored at least nine total touchdowns both times, and his receiving work doubled last season. And Hyde's definitely not a threat in the receiving department whatsoever. So I see Carson as, you know, another possible RB1 for fantasy and another guy that you can get who's being priced as a a low-end RB2. And then with Gordon, I don't mind him. I agree with you. You know, I think he's going to be the lead back. I think he's going to get the passing down work or the bulk of it. I think he's going to get the bulk of the goal line work. But for as much as you're saying, you know, there's more competition in Seattle, I'm a lot more concerned about Philip Lindsay than I am about any of the backups in Seattle because Lindsay had over a thousand rushing yards in back-to-back years. He's not just going to go away completely, I don't think, in this offense. So I think, you know, Carson is a bigger risk when it comes to the injury. But I do like his upside more, and that's why he edged out Gordon, and that's why he has a spot on my team in, in Scott Fishbowl and the Thundercats division. <laughs> <laughs> there we go, man. Yeah. You know, whenever – if you look back at the high-performing rookie running backs, anyone drafted outside the top three rounds, it's just very rare. You know, hey, Lindsey was one of those exceptions as an undrafted guy, but top three-round running backs are the ones you really need to focus on. And that's why DJ Dallas, you know, the things he might have done in college – he wasn't brought in to take Chris Carson's job. I'm with you. Carlos Hyde seems more of like a Rashad Penny replacement. The fumbling issues, they're there. But, I mean, the guy had two separate game, two separate streaks of three straight games with a fumble last year. I feel like if that was a deal breaker, the deal would have already been broken. I am leaning with Gordon because while Lindsey is there, you know, to me it's kind of like the Miles Sanders situation. Okay, we're not going to get all the early down work. Should have that fantasy-friendly pass game role. I'm a little higher on this Drew Lock Broncos offense than maybe the rest of the people are. I'm, I think I'm wondering if my inter- entertainment part in me really wants the Broncos to be good. We'll see how that plays out. But Melvin Gordon, I do think to an extent we're all remembering that brutal October he had. I mean, that was miserable. Cleared four yards per carry, though, six of his eight final games. I mean, this is the same guy that led the league in broken tackles from 2016 and 2018. I think in a season where, you know, got to enter the offseason healthy, no holdout, chip on his shoulder. I'm buying Melvin Gordon. Melvin Gordon was my fifth-round pick in the Scott Fishbowl today. So glad to see we're uh, (laughs) talking up our respective dudes. All right. Moving on, this next guy let a lot of people down next year. Quietly, kind of like MG3, though, was playing his best football in the last month and a half of the season. No added backfield competition. Probable, if not likely, QB upgrade. David Montgomery, are you expecting a bounce-back sophomore campaign for one of the last running backs you can get in fantasy drafts that are probably going to get you 250 touches without you know a brutal injury? Yeah, he's a tough one to project. He's one of those guys where I don't feel like I love his outlook He didn't really impress as a rookie. I know you're saying, you know, down the stretch a little bit better, but those tackle breaking skills that he dominated with in college, 
didn't really translate so far. (laughs) Uh, He's got Tariq Cohen there still taking away a lot of that passing work. The line wasn't great last year. But then when you do projections, it's hard not to have him as a low-end RB2, right, just because of that volume. And there is some untapped potential. So when you're looking at some of those other volume-based guys that we talked about, like Gurley and and DJ, you know, maybe we do get something a little more in Monty's sophomore season – but, you know, you can also count me uh, among the guys who think that Nick Foles is going to eventually take over his quarterback, maybe even start the season as the quarterback in Chicago. So that could help stabilize the offense a little bit and sustain some more drives. But I can't really get excited about him. All those question marks that I mentioned, the subpar rookie campaign, I don't end up with a lot of shares. Do you? Not a, not a ton, man. But, you know, if I do find myself, you know, getting maybe – first round pick going Saquon, then just if I can't help myself with those wide receivers. I mean, if you make it to round six in some of these drafts without, you know, your second running back, the pickings are slim. And, you know, I mentioned that 250 touch threshold. It's arbitrary as are a lot of, you know, uh, different statistical uh, thresholds we talk about, but nine of 153 running backs to reach that only nine have failed to finish as the PPR RB 24 or better right in that RB two range. Last season, we had three, Montgomery himself, Sony Michelle, and Carlos Hyde. My one hope is maybe he can get more of that pass down work. And I don't have a quote or anything, but I'm just looking at performance because, good God, Tariq Cohen was awful last season. And, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be a dick, but the guy, you know, kudos to him for achieving way more than any other five, six guys achieved in the NFL. 4.4 yards per target. You were better off than Leonard Fournette than Tariq Cohen last year. And, you know, maybe he gets back to performing the way he did 2017, 2018. Him and Joystick, you know, him and Dante Hall share that great nickname. That's great. But I think compared to Sony, compared to Hyde, maybe Montgomery has some room to grow in that pass game volume. But, no, this is one of those picks, like, you're not going to feel good after you do it. It's not sexy, but the volume is there, people. Moving on to a backfield that doesn't have the volume, but, man, we got that efficiency. 49ers, Anytime Kyle Shanahan's there, we know we're getting one of the league's best rushing offenses. It seems like we have Raheem Mostert and Tevin Coleman at the top here, but Jeff Wilson resigned. Hey, we're even getting our yearly kind of maybe Jared McKinnon's back this year rumors. How are you approaching the 49ers? Well, I mean, you left out some other guys there. I mean, even the UDFAs like Jamichael Hasty and Salvin Ahmed, like Ooh, you got to okay. think about all these guys, right? Anybody can rise the depth chart in San Francisco. <laughs> And the funny part is, I'm actually serious about that. I mean, I picked up Hasty on a bunch of different dynasty teams just in case McKinnon can't make a full recovery. Like, there's a chance he could get a role this season. But, I mean, we don't need to go that deep. That's more <laughs> dynasty. But for Mostert, he's still a guy to own there, right? He's the, the odds-on favorite to lead this backfield in touches. And the one thing I think a lot of people don't realize with him, the guy's 28 years old. This isn't like some young back showing up. You know, he doesn't have a lot of tread on the tires, but 28's a very old for a breakout candidate at running back. And, you know, I joke, but Shannon is pretty quick to cycle through those backs. You know, he just wants to land on the most effective player any given week. Doesn't matter who it is. It's always been that way. It just so happens that, you know, Mostert earned that on a regular basis in the second half of last season. And it helped that Tevin Coleman was hurt during the playoffs. That kind of boosted him up a little bit. And when you look at what Mostert did, he racked up at least 50 rushing yards in eight straight games on the way to the Super Bowl there. And he had a couple just monster performances. And I think almost like the Derrick Henry thing, that's what sticks out in people's minds, right? 146 yards at a score in week 13 against the Ravens. 220 yards and four touchdowns in that (laughs) NFC championship, especially right. That one for sure. And in total, he was kind of lifted by his touchdown scoring though, most weeks, right. Which is 
a lot of people have compared him to Damian Williams, who similarly kind of caught fire, you know, last season. And he did it late the, the year before because Mostert found the end zone 13 times over his final nine contests. And he only failed to cross the goal line in one of those appearances. That, that is fantastic for fantasy. Another reason I'm a little bit concerned, though, with him is the role in the passing game. Because unfortunately, you know, Matt Breda leaving, you think, well, maybe it opens it up. But like you said, now you have McKinnon coming back. Maybe even somebody like Hasty could get some work there. So I'm not so sure that all of a sudden he's going to get more work in the passing game. So then you have a guy who's, you know, kind of limited more on the ground. But he's in this Kyle Shanahan offense. So I do still want a piece because a big part of this is where he's being drafted, right? You can get him in that fifth round range. That's a pretty nice discount. If he was going in the the third or something, which, you know, we dealt with Damian Williams last year in drafts where Damian Williams is going in like the second or third round. And it was a, a pretty heavy price to pay for a guy who was really unproven. In this situation, the fifth round, you know what? Yeah, I will take a shot on him because you don't find a lot of backs that have that top 10 upside in that range. And he, pr- he proved that he can produce, you know, over a half a season or so. That's enough for me. That's enough for me to give a shot to him because he averaged 15 and a half touches per game, most of which came on the ground, like I keep saying, but they came with those positive game scripts. And we have to think the 49ers are still going to be a really good squad. Their win total set at 10 and a half. So they're going to win a ton of games again this year. It's going to be a lot of opportunity for him. But along the lines of the jokes at the beginning, I mean, I'm also going to pick up Coleman in the ninth. I don't love Coleman as a player, but anything is possible in this backfield. If Coleman gets hot, it seems like Kyle Shanahan loves Coleman going back to their time in Atlanta together. So I'm willing to take him as well. I might even throw a flyer on McKinnon, depending what we hear about him health-wise as we get closer to the season. So you want to invest in pieces of this backfield absolutely and the price for Mostert it, it just isn't that bad right now in the fifth round in my opinion and I'm just waiting to get that training training camp note former Tennessee running back Jalen Hurd lines up in the backfield who, <laughs> kn- who knows people we'll see but yeah the fact of the matter is we don't have to spend a top 12 pick to get Shanahan's lead running back like we usually do I mean this this confusion this idea this reality that we don't really know what's going on and we never really do in these Shanny backfields that's, that's why most are available so deep. So, again, already pretty much being baked in this price. I'm with you with Tevin as well. You know, you don't have to love it. But, hey, when the guy's an RB40 and he's probably going to get double-digit touches per game and what's likely going to be a top-10 scoring offense, those are the types of values you can get later. And, again, don't have to break the bank on it because they're not going to get the huge pass-down roll. We got Kyle Juszczyk, always doing Kyle Juszczyk things. Not ideal, but more than worthy of fantasy investment. All right, got a couple more questions for rounding it out. I think vultures are very overrated these days in fantasy football. We had the whole Malcolm Brown thing in week one last year. Like be very careful calling someone a vulture. Sometimes a running back is in as a backup and the offense gets inside the five yard line. They stay on the field. doesn't mean they're a vulture. Two situations in the league. I think we need to worry that about with, I want to hear if you agree with me, Devin Singletary, we got Zach Moss replacing Frank Gore, Josh Allen doing Josh Allen things. I think eighth in the league and rushing touchdowns as he joined and with the Jets, Le'Veon Bell gets the inconvenient truth, Frank Gore. How concerned are you about Singletary and Bell's three-down roles with these new backs and their offenses? I know everybody is souring on Singletary, it seems, but I'm actually not. And I will admit, I am a Bills fan, so you could let that factor into your opinion of my analysis here. Normally, I tend to avoid Bills most years because it hasn't done me very well taking them in fantasy, so I don't feel like I have that homer complex at all. But 
the big thing was Singletary. Moss coming in, yeah, it might have prevented him from having that true RB1 upside, but I never expected the Bills to give him that kind of role. And maybe it's foolish of me. Maybe I'm just, I'm not that scared of Moss stealing his job. I didn't love Moss as a prospect. I felt he was much closer to an average back than a real difference maker in the pros. I know the size, the power, it's, it's fairly alluring, but the lack of speed and quickness to my eyes makes him look like more of a backup. And that's what the bills want him to be. I mean, GM Brandon Bean came out and I thought he was pretty clear. He said that quote, I think more of the goal line and things that as we did with Frank Gore last year, you'll see Zach do. I think Devin will do a similar role that he had. Well, let's go back to last year, right? What did Singletary do? He put up nearly a thousand yards from scrimmage on 192 touches over 12 games. That's because he was hurt early in the year. And really that injury was the only thing that prevented him from putting up top 15, top 20 numbers. He was on pace over 16 games at that pace would have had 201 carries over a thousand rushing yards, three rushing touchdowns, 39 receptions, 259 receiving yards and three rushing touchdowns. And those numbers, they would have allowed Frank Gore to still have well over a hundred touches on the year. So even if Moss takes over that Gore role, we could see him get well over a hundred carries you know, Josh Allen's going to continue to vulture goal line scores, but he was vulturing goal line scores last year. So Singletary doesn't have that double digit touchdown upside. And that makes the margin of error a little tighter. So I understand that aspect and why people might shy away from him, but he could still pick up where he left off. And that makes him a guy who's going to compete for a spot among the top 20 fantasy backs, in my opinion, a young player, a player who can improve coming into his second year, even with the strange off season, he's a guy that, when they've had off-season uh, interviews and stuff with the coaching staff, Brian Dable always refers to Motor. That's his nickname, Motor. They know what they have in him. We don't know what Moss is yet, and that could be good or bad, but the assumption that he's going to come in and take the job or take this huge part of the job right away, I don't see it with him. And, you know, if I end up grabbing a tight end or a couple receivers in the first three rounds, Singletary's definitely somebody I'm willing to have as my RB2. And then Le'Veon Bell – I mean, Bell, from an efficiency standpoint, he wasn't that bad last year. The offensive line, the offense in general being just terrible last season, not having Sam Darnold because he was, you know, with dealing with mono early in the year, that really threw off the whole season for them. They've made some upgrades on the offensive line. The one thing that I'm worried about with Bell, though, is Adam Gase does not like him. It's been pretty evident ever since Gase got there. He does not like Le'Veon Bell. I think there's a chance that we see Bell maybe even get traded. Uh, this season in the season at some point because they don't seem to want to have a future with him you bring in Frank Gore but we just talked about Singletary Singletary put up those numbers with Frank Gore there last season and as much as we love Frank Gore he is not the Frank Gore of old yes he's a bit of a thorn in fantasy players sides but I don't think he's going to prevent Le'Veon Bell from putting up decent numbers so the question is just what do you think about that Jets offense and I think the line's going to be a little better. I think the offense itself will be a little better, maybe a little more consistent this year. And I think that gives Bell a good shot to be a top 15, top 20 back. And that's where I have him ranked. Yeah, the Jets kind of took that Bills 2019 strategy where O-line sucks. All right, let's throw a bunch of free agents at it and, you know, try to at least get some better players out there. He was ninth in broken tackles last season, still made a bunch of plays when they would line him up as a true wide receiver, which I've always felt is the best part of his skill set. But yeah, man, it's like Adam Gase, can you just not – 
crap on your starting running back every chance you get was that asking too much so it's just anyone that jets offense you're gonna be in one of the slowest pace ones in the league yeah i'm staying away and taking similarly wrecked running backs over Le'Veon bell in most drafts and all good points on singletary i mean you know sometimes the touchdowns might not be there but that's okay this guy played at least 65 percent of the offensive snaps in every single game last year when he wasn't either injured or returning from an injury layoff. So they like him. And I found a fun stat today. Josh Allen only checked the ball down on six of 461 pass attempts last year for a league <laughs> low 1.3%. But as you said, that didn't stop them from scheming Devin Singletary, the ball on some shorter routes, you know, just uh, they went out of the way to get him. Well, it's going to end up being over 30 receptions. So, you know, just remember there is a difference between checking down, you know, having an offense that is one to get their running back involved in different ways. All right, five cheap backfields that we have not talked about that are not flushed out. I want to hear if there's a back from here that you're favoring. Detroit, Miami, New England, Tampa Bay, Washington. They're all messes. We have multiple backs in each, but they're all cheap. Any one from those backfields that you're targeting, and this is all pretty much like the RB 30 range or later. I have the rookies ranked highest, DeAndre Swift and, and Keyshawn Vaughn, the highest out of that group. They're in like that fringe RB2, high-end RB3 range. Uh, James White isn't that far off in PPR either, but none of these guys really stand out because it's hard to have a lot of confidence in these situations, right? You're drafting them, and I'm fine with drafting them, but you're drafting them because you're getting such a discount, and the discount's coming because of the uncertainty in the depth chart and really the uncertainty in the offenses as a whole, right? I think Miami could be pretty good offensively with the weapons they have. The skill position players are pretty good. Upgrades to the offensive line, kind of like we talked about with the Jets, that's going to help them get up off the floor because last year their offensive line was horrific. Uh, New England, a bit more of a wild card, but with Cam Newton there now, there's definitely some value. And then my biggest concern with the Lions and Bucks, even though I have those two guys ranked the highest out of this group, my concern is that we're not going to get a true workhorse, right? This is going to devolve into a timeshare with Swift and carry on. And then with Vaughn and Ronald Jones and maybe Dario Gondawala and maybe Raymond Calais, the other rookie there, because they need to find a pass catching option. I think it's going to be Vaughn, but you never know, right? Coming in. And then the other thing that scares me with them is you have Bruce Arians saying that they may have signed Devonta Freeman if the price wasn't so high and Freeman's still out there as a free agent. So if that price comes down, is it possible that we see him end up in Tampa? Maybe. So I am fine with taking any of these guys. The only really one that you have to pay up for is Swift in the fifth round or so. And that's caused me to, to pass on him a lot just because at that price with that uncertainty, I normally stay away, but taking swings on Vaughn or Howard or Breda or white or Sony Michelle, or even carry on Johnson, you can get those guys in the, the eighth round or later that's a smart way to make your team up because they have chances to emerge in their backfields just with talent and competition. And then if an injury happens to one of the guys with them, all of a sudden you got a starting back who's got a pretty good shot to produce. The one that I will completely stay away from this year though is Washington. I mean, guys, <laughs> he can't stay healthy. I had Dr. Edwin Porras on and he's at fantasy points. I had him on our podcast recently and he basically suggested at this point that Geis' best shot of staying healthy might be a reduced workload, right? And you have Adrian Peterson still there. I know a lot of people are getting excited about Antonio Gibson, and I think he's going to be a pass-catching threat for him. I don't see him breaking through as a workhorse in this offense. I mean, it's very rare for a guy to have such 
limited production as a running back in college and then all of a sudden come to the pros and year one, boom, the guy's just going to be your lead back. And they're just kind of throwing anything at the wall, right? They brought in Peyton Barber and J.D. McKissick. Just overall to me, no thank you to that Washington backfield. And we still got Bryce Love showing there. Sorry, Bryce first round Love, pick from forgot. last year. Yeah. It's unreal, man. The backfield <laughs> never ends. Yeah, I mean, Darius Geis, like, it's amazing how many highlights that dude has with under 50 career touches. I mean, so talented. But, yeah, even last year when he was healthy, I mean, we had him, you know, making the most of 15 carries as Adrian Peterson did his thing with about 18 more. So you look at all these backfields and – yeah, look, there are ways for Swift and carry on. If they form a two-back committee and Ty Johnson and Bo Scarborough are, are involved, that could be productive. But all these places in Tampa with Dari and New England, they're usual for Miami sticks out as the only one to me where we can pretty confidently project only two running backs to be involved. And, you know, I know there's some Patrick Laird truthers out there in the DFS community, Peter Ozert, knock, knock, but Miami, Jordan Howard, Matt Breida. I mean, we've seen these guys produce in recent years. You know, there's a lot of Matt Breida truthers out there. Scares me that Kyle Shanahan was so willing, willing to get rid of Breida, but look, the guy can catch passes. We saw Jordan Howard keep Miles Sanders on the bench. They threw a lot of resources at that O-line. Miami out of this group is I think the only location where we are getting a two RB backfield, which is all we can hope for. All right. This is the last breakdown. I've saved a very special one for last because I am much higher. I think on this running back than most James Connor looks like to me, one of this year's steals 2019 was very weird for everyone involved, but guess what? Juju, we saw the talent. Most people going back to well, ranking him as a top wide receiver, not the same with James Connor. We're seeing him slip in that girly four net range. I think we're looking at a three-down workhorse that just needs to stay healthy, and then he's going to be inside of a top-10 offense, assuming Big Ben can come back. What are your thoughts on James Conner? He falls a little bit. I would still take a shot on him because of that upside, similar to what I talked about with Raheem Mostert, right? If, if I can get him in sort of the, the late fourth into the fifth, yeah, I would take a shot on him. But right now, his ADP is going up a little higher than that. Maybe it's your fault if you're pushing him here. <laughs> in that same episode I just referenced with, with Edwin Porras, we discussed Connor and he was speculating. This wasn't based on a study or anything, but he was talking about whether some of those past cancer treatments could potentially have an impact on the ligaments and the tendons. And they could lead to some of those injuries that we're seeing Connor have. And it's important to take that into consideration because uh, Dr. Porras, he does not like term injury prone or anything like that. But when looking at him, he almost said the same thing as Geist that with Connor now at this point, we might need him to have a reduced workload in order to get through a full season. And I know that goes against really that, that Steelers mentality, how they treated their backs for most years, whether that's a philosophical thing, whether that's just based on the talent that they've had there. I'm not really sure, but you have rookie Anthony McFarlane and he's kind of intriguing. You have Benny Snell who could take some of those tops away from, from Connor, maybe help keep him healthy a little bit. Connor, I mean, anybody that's seen him in this offseason, he's put out some pictures on social media. He looks more like a superhero than a running back right yeah, now, right? So big, he, looks like, he looks like the Incredible Hulk. I'm not sure if that's a good thing or not, especially for a guy that has all these soft tissue injuries. But I always think back to David Boston. This might be dating myself because a ways back, but he got jacked up. He was a receiver and then out of the league, right? I get the appeal with Connor, though. He has produced RB1 numbers in the past. You have Big Ben returning. That offense you think is going to get back on track. The team's going to win more games, which should be good for their rushing attack. Really, almost everybody in that Steelers offense should be a buy right now. But in best ball tens, 
when you're looking at the ADP and I like looking at best ball ADP right now, because I feel like at this point in the year, it gives you a little more of a, an accurate depiction than okay. some of the redraft ADPs. Those get a little better when you get closer to the season in August and stuff, more casual fans get in there, but he's going in like the late third round in those drafts. And that's a, it's a pretty high price to pay for some of those other guys that are available in that area. Cause when you look at, you know, after, you know, he averaged 113 yards per game two years ago. And then he comes back. He was limited to 72 yards per contest this past season. And yes, some of that can be attributed to the quarterback situation. I admit that for sure. But in, ad- in addition to, to Big Ben being sidelined, Connor also missed six games last year. And then when he returned late in the year, the coaching staff wasn't really interested in giving him a big workload at all. They held him to eight touches per game during that time. And of his 10 appearances that he made in 2019, Connor played on less than 60% of the snaps six times. The team was working other backs in the mix is that a sign of what's to come maybe you know he's missed nine contests over the last two seasons so you have their gm there kevin colbert before the draft he came out he's defended connor now he's defended him and said you know a lot of it's been injury based but he's also talked about adding running back talent to that backfield and prior to the draft he said it's our job to make sure that we have options and alternatives and competition that's what we'll be working on and then they go out and they get McFarland. now it wasn't a, a high pick obviously i think he was in the, the fourth round is it possible that connor regains his form and that you know colbert's right it was just the injuries absolutely he has the ability to produce as a top 15 back in fantasy that's well within his range of outcomes but it's also possible that McFarlane starts to work in as a complimentary piece and maybe, you know, this is a contract year for Connor. There's been a lot of talk that the team doesn't want to resign him. Maybe they start getting McFarlane more touches and they look at him as a potential successor here if he can produce. So I'm not that excited about Connor where he's going, but if he falls a little bit, I, I would jump on board. I must admit, I felt a little shiver down my spine after I figured out, because again, I, I don't focus too much on the non-top three round backs. McFarland came in round four, and I realized, oh, wait, that's that Maryland running back that I almost put up 300 yards in my Ohio State Buckeyes a few years ago. So <laughs> truly a talented, you know, later round back, maybe can do some big things. But, you know, it would make sense if they give Connor this lighter workload trying to preserve him. This seems to me like that last year. Let's give him all the touches he can get. I mean, from Mike Tomlin this offseason, I'm a featured runner type guy by mentality. Usually when it's going well, it's because you have a lead dog out front and that guy's a featured runner. James is a featured guy and proven runner when healthy. We're excited about him getting back to health and displaying that in 2020. Is that offseason coach talk I focus way too much on? Potentially. But before last year, we had seen every single starting Steelers running back get those 17 touches per game, get that workhorse role. I agree last year as a whole was not anything resembling good for Connor, but he was the PPR RB9 weeks one through eight before that initial injury. I think for me, the big thing is like where he's going with these four nets and girlies. Like I have already, we, we talked about why we don't think those guys are going to get these massive three down rolls. I mean, we saw Connor get that in 2018. And I just think his ceiling is that same role, even if the floor is a bit lower than those guys. So I would just say, you know, if you are in one of these, you know, and, and Scott Fishbowl, I did take Connor before Melvin Gordon even because I thought, hey, his range of outcomes is a lot higher than these other guys. And, okay, could you look like an idiot when he gets hurt and, injury, and you know, a quote-unquote injury-prone guy? I agree uh, with the doctor. I don't like that term, but it's hard not to kind of go there with Connor a little bit. If he gets hurt, you can look dumb, but if he doesn't, guys, we're talking about a true three-down workhorse. So, Justin, that's all I got, man. Thank you so much again. Anything to pitch? Any final thoughts? 
Man, I appreciate having me on. I mean, one thing I'll say just to tie the, the running back thing in a bow, draft the, the late round guys that are in these offenses that have quality rushing attacks. It seems so obvious. And yet I continue to see, you know, Chase Edmonds, who we talked about earlier, and Latavius Murray and Alexander Madison all these guys fall way further than I think they should in drafts. That's what I want on my bench. I want these high upside guys that just have that massive upside. I know it's, you know, it's overused at this point, but they can be league winners. They're instant RB ones. If their starter goes down from my perspective. So that's the only thing I'll say is, is get those ADPs up because I'm getting way too much of those guys in the later rounds. And I I'm enjoying it, but I think everybody else should be enjoying it as well um as far as you know anything going on the, the score fantasy football draft kit is available um you know there's a lot of great draft kits out there ours is available completely free just download the score app all my contents in there uh, including my rankings and everything like that and we update that all the way to the season uh, the score fantasy football podcast that we talked about earlier uh, we're going once a week right now but that's going to ramp up to a couple times a week closer to the year maybe even three times a week during the season so it's a fun time we just uh, we're hoping that we have some football soon some players on the field that we can judge on as opposed to just you know going over all the numbers and everything like we always do <laughs> Yeah, and echoing that, you know, handcuff point, Latavius, Chase Edmonds, Tony Pollard, Alexander Modison, not every backup is created equal, people. Get those guys, true RB1s, if they get hurt. Thank you again, Justin, man. Go get that back-to-back -back ring, man. Fantasy Pro's <laughs> most accurate expert in 2019. Make sure you check out Justin on Twitter, at Justin Boone. I'm Ian Hardix, he's Justin Boone. Thank you all for listening. Have a great day. <laughs>